running gold thing. San Diego Padres, I'm running gold thing. I'm running gold thing. It's never the same. Dominic and James Paz games always the same. This ain't your grandpappy's team. They changing the game. Seventh inning start the rally. They changing the game. Fernando, Tatis, going yard, hitting seats. Maya's in Machado, snatching victory from defeat. Hosmer says we're nasty, now the world about to see. They call it Slam Diego, now the world about to see. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking stars. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking a brown and gold thing. 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 San Diego Padres. What's going on, folks? Welcome to the Village Times podcast. This is episode number 151. Uh, we're going to be joined shortly by uh, Mr. Dan Good is going to be here talking about Ken Caminiti. Uh, has a biography about uh, Ken Caminiti, which should be pretty interesting to read uh, coming out in the next coming months. Um, what's going on, Dominic? How are you doing at ASU? I know this is a busy time of the year. Uh, man, we are just waiting for Padre baseball. I guess that's kind of weighing on you as well, right? Yeah, and I, I think I'm in the unique spot to where I am waiting even more patient or anxiously than most other Padres fans because I have the opportunity to be inside spring training clubhouses this year with the program that I'm work that I'm working for at Arizona State. And, you know, I mean, everyone's always like, oh, man, like they just need to get the deal done. Yeah, you're, you're telling me. So, uh, I mean, I, I'd like to think that we'd still do some stuff if like minor leaguers come to spring training. But just remember, you want Potters baseball. I want Potters baseball. I also want to be in these spring training clubhouses. So yeah. uh, I'm just uh, every day that goes by is a it's another missed opportunity uh, potentially for me. So that that's where I that's where I feel. I hear you. I hear you. There's a lot of fans uh, that are, you know, in flux wondering what's going on. Uh, spring training plans and trips to Peoria haven't exactly been finalized. Uh, you know, usually this time of the year, I'm, I'm setting my trip to going out to, uh, you know, that's not even a topic that I've even discussed at this point. Uh, it's just with protocols and all the other just uncertainty in the world, I guess we, you, you know, we'll just have to play it by ear. That's what the the mantra is now of the, the world we live in. Right. And have to be, yeah. fluid, have to be uh flexible kind of just go with the punches and, and roll with it. So uh, I don't know the, the, the Padres, you got to figure once it opens up and, and transactions are allowed, the Padres are going to just have a flurry of moves, right? I mean, you, you have to figure that. Yeah, because obviously there's a lot of the the Hosmer trade talks. This is really their last offseason where they can trade him. They can trade him with a deadline too, but uh, that's obviously going to be hard too because, we're, I mean, that's the last opportunity. So there's that. There's also corner outfield market that the Padres are going to be heavily on. We've wrote several articles on eastfieldstimes.com, Castellanos, Bryant, a couple of other players on there. You can go check that out, eastfieldstimes.com. Uh, there's a lot of options out there and you'd also like to think that they might be in on some, uh, some other pitchers. The bullpen got overtaxed last year. I mean, just got to say how it is. They did sign a couple of uh, relievers, but uh, there will probably be in on that too. 
Yeah, though there's there's definitely uh, uncertainty when it comes to the pitching staff and when, when it comes to the lineup. Quite frankly, I mean, when you're talking about uh, Jerickson Profar is penciled in as the starting left fielder at this point right now for the Padres, and I, I don't imagine that's going to be the case come opening day. There there, sh- there should be some kind of move. I mean, Nomar uh, Mazara is also. Uh, on the roster and could factor at some point, but that's not exactly an appealing option for the Padres as well. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see uh, a lot of, a lot of information. We'll, we'll talk more about it uh, after we talk to, to Dan. Uh, when Dominic and I wrap this podcast, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more Padre news and, and talk about uh, rumors of Freddie Freeman and, and all these other uh crazy stuff that's going out there for, for the Padres in, in, in the past week or so. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just people being antsy and just waiting for for everything to open up, right? Yeah, it, it's going to be hectic because like, are when they do come to an agreement, are they going to have spring training at all? Is there going to be a gap between when they, when they have that, uh, when they sign the deal and then when they have spring training? Yeah. Uh, it's just... It's bizarre. I mean, this has never really happened, at least definitely not in my lifetime. I don't really, I was not alive in 1994, so I don't remember it at all. I'm sure you do. Sorry. Uh, it's not, it was not, that was not an age joke. That was more of just. No, I mean, it, that the, the truth is I do remember 94 and it was, it was sad to see the season end like that. And, and it kind of soured you on baseball for, for a while. And it, it took, uh, it took the 98 home run chase to kind of revitalize the sport and, and gain uh, national attention like it had before. And, and you don't want to do that. I, you, you just, you things it's, it's just, when it comes down to it, it's millionaires fighting with billionaires over what's right and simple things that are, that should be taken care of as far as the minor leaguers and, and, and works and work compensation and stuff like that. It, it's, it, it's a sticky situation though, because both of these uh, sides are well represented on the legal aspect of the world. So we get these filibusters and these long ass discussions when it's you know you think that in a matter of days they could work this out but it's, instead you get this democratic process that we have before us that we're all uh the victim of which is it's sad but it is what it is um i, I don't know man you, you gotta get you gotta get baseball back soon though because right both sides have the incentive to start on yes. march 31st yes there, there's no way around it i mean both sides are going to get killed if they don't start on March 31st. The owners, because people aren't going to want to pay to go to go to games and whatnot, and they're also going to lose out TV money on the table. So everything, uh, ticket, all the all the incentives are out there. Yeah, it's 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 hilarious, but you know, uh, hopefully they'll sign a long term plan, a long term deal, and we won't have to deal with this for for a while. And uh, what's right is right will happen, and, and a lot of angles and aspects of this but uh the bottom line is just, let's just play ball right i mean let's just let's just play ball yeah all right folks uh we'll take a brief uh pause and we will be back uh with dan good uh reminiscing about ken Kennedy. welcome back folks uh episode number 151 of the san diego Padres gbt podcast uh happy that uh, mr dan good is with us uh right now uh former new york post and new york daily reporter uh, Playing Through the Pain is a biography of Ken Kennedy. This comes out in uh, end of May. Uh, what's going on, Dan? Uh, awesome to talk to you. 
Uh, on a personal level, Ken Caminiti was one of my favorite ball players growing up. I'm old enough to have remembered him growing up. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing doing fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Give us a little information. Where did this? Uh, I, I don't want to call it an infa- infatuation, but where, where did where did all this uh, just love come for Ken Caminiti? It's interesting. I mean, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, so I wasn't a Padres fan growing up, but I always appreciated, you know, you see his highlights on sports center, you hear his name and he was really just kind of, he kind of stuck with me. Um, I used to play this game uh, when I was a kid with my, with my dad and my family, it was called APA, uh, APBA baseball. And it, it took, um, real players, MLB players, and use their stats for this dice game, uh, tabletop game. And I had him on my team a couple of times. And I just always kind of between that and between sports center highlights and him winning the MVP award, I just thought this guy's really cool. He has the, you know, he has this goatee. He's a badass. He's diving all over the field, hitting home runs from both sides of the plate. He's playing injured. He has a torn rotator cuff. Like this guy was just really interesting to me. And I just always appreciated and respected the way he played. And then, uh, you know, as his career wound down and he comes out in 2002 with the Sports Illustrated uh, interview in which he talked about using steroids, I just really thought that was a stand-up thing to do. And, uh, you know, he was honest and open in a way that many players aren't. And, you know, his his death touched me too. I, I just, I felt a the connection there. And it's not something you can even uh, easily explain. It's just a feeling that, you know, there's something more here. And, um, you know, as the years passed, I just felt like, uh, there was a book here that, that, you know, this story needed to be told and um, spent a long time. I started in 2012 working on it and uh, researching it and learning more about him and started calling people and uh, just went from there. But it was just really interesting and meaningful to to learn more about him and to to piece his life together. Yeah, I mean, he, he truly was an, uh, just an enigma, kind of hard to figure out, you know, you, uh, a family man. But he had a lot of personal demons and stuff. And, and just I think fans just related the way that he played the game and, and the fact that he left it all on the field and, and expected that out of his teammates. And 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 that was just well received in the city of San Diego. And he was he was so adored by, by the fan base. It's just it, it really is a tragic ending uh, to the to the story. But uh, tell us about about Caminiti and, and his confession and how it actually did change the baseball world. It had a huge impact because up until that point, it was, you know, you'd see some guy hit 40 home runs and say, where did this come from? Um, Or he comes to spring training or he's playing and you say, this guy looks a lot different than he did last year. Um, So it was all those kind of eye test things like something's changing in this game. Um, But for him to come forward and admit honestly, openly, yes, I use this stuff. Yes, it helped me. Um, There have been very few players that have come forward to that level. I don't really think anybody's come forward to that level of honesty. Jose Canseco sold a book and talked about it, which was, you know, meaningful in its own right. But, um, you know, so many of the other players who've come forward and admitted to using steroids have done so begrudgingly have really kind of glossed over a lot of the details. Um, you know, I think the thing that stands out to me was that he said, yes, these things helped me. I did them. Uh, he wasn't trying to hide away from that. Um, and I, I just think, you know, all, all in all, as a player, as a person, he's a stand up guy. And I think it kind of 
ties into those things. You know, he, he was a stand-up guy and, you know, and that's why um, those Padres teams, the mid to late nineties, like he was the heartbeat of those teams. Um, you know, he was the clubhouse enforcer. He was the guy who people look to, you know, if, if you didn't slack off because he was working harder than everybody, he'd just give you a scowl. He'd glare at you. And that was it. That's all I needed to do was look at you. And you knew like, Hey, I need to, I need to raise my level. I need to push myself just a little bit harder. And, um, you know, and, and all the, the injuries he played through in 96, uh, to carry that team. I mean, so many injuries he was battling. And then you had obviously the, the Mexico series and the dehydration and the IV fluids and the Snickers bar. And, uh, and he goes up and hits two home runs. And if you watch the video from those games, he's like, he's kind of shaky as he's running around the bases. Like he's really not in good shape at all. He's like walking from the plate to the dugout. Like he was really hurting. And, um, you know, and then even after that, he goes and hits a grand slam against Pedro Martinez the next game. So like he was just, when he was dialed in, he was dialed in, but he was, it was really interesting. Um, you know, learning more about him as a teammate, as a competitor, guys who played against him, love to play against him just because of the style of play he had, like he had so much respect in the game. Uh, so from my understanding was that you didn't really have a relationship with Caminetti while uh, he was playing or just while he was alive. How, how was the process of reaching out to sources for the book, uh, family members, former teammates and whatnot? Yeah, and that and that was that was a big hurdle because I think a lot of people ask that question. <laughs> when did you meet him? You know, and and there was a learning curve there. You know, the people I talked to grew up with him, uh, knew him, loved him. Um, you know, I, as a baseball fan, I connected with him as a baseball fan. And, um, I, uh, I was somebody who, um, I ended up watching a lot of games from his teams, but like not when he was playing for them. So I went to a Padres game in 99 at Philadelphia at veteran stadium. Um, and I, I got Jeff Bagwell's autograph, like all these little tangential things, but not specifically related to Ken. Um, and I, I think there was a learning curve there in terms of, uh, building people's trust. And, um, you know, I was just very open and honest about it. I did my research on everybody. Uh, I, I really worked hard to find the way in that would get people to talk to me. And, um, it took a long time. I mean, it took a long time and even, you know, cold calling Bruce Bochy. And, you know, after I had, you know, spent five years trying to work through the Giants to get an interview with him, he retired. And I said, well, I'm just going to call the guy. So I found numbers that were related to him and, uh, and called one of his numbers and left a message and didn't think anything of it. And then a week or two later, I get a call back and it's this number. And I said, well, it's either him or it's somebody telling me I have the wrong number. And I answer the phone. It's that gravelly voice. And I was like, Wow. Oh, it's Bruce Bochy. It was awesome. But, um, and he was fantastic, but it was really, you know, it really took time to, um, to get people to trust me. And, and, and some people close to him, uh, yeah. ultimately didn't want to talk because of the sensitivities around the story, yeah. but a lot, a, a lot of people did. And I was really proud of that. I mean, I yeah. could see, I could see that just simply from the fact that they wanted to make sure that you told, uh, uh, painted a picture of him that, that that was pleasing because of just the the nature of his death and and all this stuff. I, I would imagine, right? Yeah, no, that that makes it tough, and you know the addiction problems he was having, and yeah. it just the issues. I mean, you you've read the stories, you see the stories online, and you see the stories that have been published about him, and you know there's a lot of a lot of darkness, and you know I think the key to Ken's life is bringing out 
the light and the darkness and, and being open and honest about all of it and uh, and finding the truth underneath it. And, you know, here was a great guy. He was a great player. He was a great athlete. He was a great friend. He certainly had his issues and flaws, uh, just like a lot of us do. And he tried to uh, work through them the best he could. And, and, you know, I think ultimately one of the tough parts about his life and the reality is um, being a celebrity and being in the public spotlight makes things so much harder. Um, And being a baseball player in the public spotlight makes things so much harder. The schedule of a baseball player is not one of great routine when you're traveling across the country and now you're playing a night game and now you're playing a day game and now you're flying here and doing, and doing this. And it, it just, this endless thing. And that was really tough for him in terms of trying to maintain balance and sobriety and, and, and those things. But um, you know, I think ultimately for me, the good shines through even amid the dark parts of his life. I, I do think that he was a really good guy. And um, I think that resonates in, in a lot of the stories I've heard. And his legacy with the Padres, I find it very interesting because he was only a Padre for four years from 95 Mm -hmm. through 98. But -hmm. at the same time, in 96 and 98 were two of the only six Padres playoff appearances. And in 98 was one of the only two World Series appearances for the franchise. And he's also the only MVP in franchise history. He's in the Padres Hall of Fame, but his number isn't retired. Uh, What do you make of that? Yeah, that's interesting. And it's a really good point. And I think I I was really glad when the Padres put him in the Hall of Fame. I thought it was a deserved honor. You know, obviously there's teams in the league. The Yankees would be one of them or the Cardinals that have these long lineages of world championships and players who were on their team for 20 and 20, you know, 20 plus years. And obviously Tony Gwynn had a great career with the Padres, uh, which is why he's Mr. Padre. But um, I think Ken captured that heartbeat of that team of that era so well. And, you know, really, um, you know, I think that that resonated so strongly. Fans loved him. They loved everything about him. Um, I was glad when the Padres and some other organizations um, in San Jose, where he grew up, have uh, started to honor him as well. Um, I, I don't think his number should retire. I think Roberto Clemente's number 21 should be retired anyway. So if they want to retire 21 and have the dual legacy of Roberto, Roberto Clemente and Ken, that's great. Um, you know, ultimately, I think he's such an iconic Padres player and um, him being in the Hall of Fame uh, it means a lot. I think, you know, even if it was only four years, you look at what happened after he got traded from the Astros and how much things changed. And, you know, there were a lot of pieces that came into that. But uh, 96 without that 96 season, I don't think there's a 98 playoff run, you know, because I think 96 made everybody believe in this again. And even with the down year in 97, I, you know, I think that it gave them the idea that let's go for it. Let's get Kevin Brown. Uh, let's build around this. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think that Ken had a huge part in those teams and um, he deserves to be honored and celebrated uh, for his accomplishments. Yeah. I mean, it, it was truly magical years. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I, I fondly remember those years and I, I fondly remember that big trade with the Astros and thinking of getting, uh, a th- finally getting a, a solid third baseman, uh, and as well as the additions of Finley and uh, another yeah. key components. But uh, can can you talk more about Caminiti and, and 
perhaps some stories that you heard from from players. I, I know that he had that reputation of, of like you mentioned, being just a, a leader and a, and a commander of of the clubhouse. I mean, he, he like you say, he would he would glance at someone and and kind of like a like an older like a father giving giving a look to their child. They would they would respond to that. So give me give me some more uh, any 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 kind of story that, that sticks out in your mind that you you heard about him. Well, well. Uh, yeah. I, I know it's been talked about before, but, um, you know, across uh, the Padres history, but uh, the Tim Worrell story is one of my favorites where Tim was complaining about his role in the, he wanted to be in the rotation. He was in the bullpen. He was mad at Bruce Bochy. He complained to the media about it. Big mistake. Um, you know, and then the next day he comes to the locker room and finds his gear dumped in front of the manager's office and can just shoot him out. Um, he basically said, you know, if you think you're the manager, here, here's your stuff, you know, and, and really just kind of set the, set the foundation for that and just said, like, don't, don't, you know, it was just such a, like, such a perfect thing for him to protect Bochi like that. You know, when Bochi didn't need to be protected, Bochi can stand up for himself, but here's Ken saying like, don't mess with Bochi, like, don't do that. Um, you know, and there's a lot of little stories like that. And some of the stories that really resonate for me are the younger players who he took under his wing. Um, a good example would be when the Astros drafted Phil Nevin with the number one pick in the 92 draft. Uh, Phil Nevin obviously had a really nice career with the Padres and bounced around the league. But when he got drafted, he was a hot shot. He's a third baseman, just like Ken. He's going to take Ken's job. And what does Ken do? He turns around and says, why don't you stay with me over the offseason for a little while during the wintertime so I can take you under my wing and show you how to train and work out and like, you know, work out together. And, and, you know, he did that a couple of times. He did that with George Arias in 1998 as well. And the same thing, George Arias was going really to take his position. And George Arias had some really good numbers in the minor leagues. And, you know, he had George Arias staying with him, um, you know, and showing him the ropes and showing him how to be a third baseman. And he did the same thing to Greg Vaughn too. When Greg Vaughn got traded to the Padres in 96, uh, Greg Vaughn was staying in a hotel and, Ken had a place. He had a room in his apartment. He said, come stay with me. And, you know, they bonded and their friendship took off from there. Uh, there's so many stories like that. And one of the coolest stories I've heard was actually from Walt Weiss. And it involved the 1999 playoffs. And Walt was playing for the Braves and Ken was playing for the Astros. Mm -hmm. And there was Ken was on third base. Bases loaded in the 10th inning. And all the Astros needed to do was get one run and they won the game. And there was a, there was a hit up the middle and uh, Tony Eusebio was hitting and he hit the ball to Walt Weiss and Walt Weiss made this fantastic play, fantastic play. He was diving away from home plate towards the outfield, gets the ball somehow in his glove, throws it home. And the Braves end up winning this game because of this amazing play. And he's in the clubhouse after the game. And he gets a phone call and it's Ken and Ken's like, I'm so frustrated, but that's like one of the best plays I've ever seen. And I just want to let you know, like, you know, he's that kind of guy that goes out of his way to, to say those kind of things. But um, you know, for the, for the, another thing too, in um, at the end of the 96 season, when the Padres were going to win uh, they were going, they're playing the Dodgers in that three game series at the end of the season. And they tied, they won the first two games, 
in pretty dramatic fashion. And both teams were tied uh, for with one game left remaining. And the team that won would be the division champion and the team that lost would be the wildcard team. And Ken was like, we're not celebrating tonight. He told everybody in the clubhouse, he's like, we're not celebrating. We're going to win this thing because when, you know, fans call the ticket office, we want them to say that we're the NOS champs. And uh, Bob Tewksbury was pitching that next game. And he was like really nervous. He said he didn't sleep very much that night because he was so nervous uh, not to let Ken down. He ended up pitching seven innings. He pitched a great game and the Padres won. So um, he was just, he was just a great motivator. Yeah, he, he certainly was. He, he knew the right things to say. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, about that. Do you think that he, if he was able to, to fight off his demons, do you, and still obviously be alive, do you think that he would be actively in major league baseball? And to what degree do you think he would be? I think that, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I've thought about it a lot. I think he would have ended up being a really good high school coach. Um, you know, he actually, tra- he, when he came back in 2004, he had been coaching with the Padres in spring training. And at that point, he was still not too far away from his playing days. So I think there was that that feeling that he could still do it, even though he couldn't. Um, you know, and I think there was, he was still struggling, you know, it was just two years after uh, the Sports Illustrated interview. So there's still that stigma, that cloud hanging. I think he would have really done a great job helping younger players, you know, to feel more secure, to to connect on that level. You know, and he did a couple uh, baseball camps in the Houston area um, in like 2002, 2003. And I think he really enjoyed that kind of work. Um, you know, I think I think he would have done a really nice job being a mentor and a coach and somebody who um, could have could have mentored and guided a lot of people. But I, I ultimately think high school would have been a really good opportunity for him and a chance to connect with a lot of kids. That's awesome. It's, it's he, he he would have definitely enjoyed working with younger players and, and teaching them the the proper way to play the game, if you will. Um, yeah. In conducting the, the, the in the the interviews and stuff of the books, I, I, approximately how many Padre players did you or former Padre players did you talk to, or can you throw some names out there if you could? Of course, um, I I would say a couple dozen. Um, I talked to a lot of coaches, staff, people connected to the team. Uh, Greg Vaughn was one of the ones I talked to. Um, Bob Tewksbury, I talked to. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> I know it sounds limited to say those two. George Arias spoke to George Arias. He was great. Uh, a lot of the younger guys. Um, I'm trying to, I have to shark. <laughs> I, um, I, I have to give me a second. I'm going to pull up my spreadsheet. This is going to be one that I need to, uh, <laughs> I need to, I'm going to, yeah, give me a second here. You go ahead and open it up and I'll, I'll hit you with another quick question. Uh, any, any, any juicy tidbits or anything you want to give us about the book? I know there's going to be a lot of uh, information or new information about Caminetti and stuff. Anything uh, you can kind of give our, our listeners a preview about? I will say this. Ken's time on Team USA in 1984 was really interesting. A lot of people overlook that and say, eh, Team USA, that's fine. He, he toured with Team USA, he got cut from the team. I think it was an interesting time because you had so many star players all at the same time and you had all them competing for these same spots. And one of the realities of it is, you know, they really didn't get along. Uh, the players didn't get along the way that they do they did later. Um, but one thing I will say is that uh, Will Clark was not 
a big hit amongst his teammates. There was a lot of people who had problems with Will Clark. He was really kind of ornery and difficult, especially when Mark McGuire was playing in his place. Uh, so Will Clark wasn't a huge, uh, huge hit among the uh, Team USA players. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think he had that reputation as a giant and, and a ranger later in his career as well. He was he, uh, he great did. hitter, but just a different sort of personality, I guess you will. Yes. Um, in terms in terms of Padres players, I've talked to Rob Deere. Rob Deere was fantastic. He played very briefly on that 96 team. Uh, Bip Roberts was great. I talked to him a while ago. Um, Bruce Bochy. I talked to Kevin Towers, the late, great Kevin Towers, uh, a number of years ago. Uh, Merv Rettenmund, um, Rob Picciolo is another one who had passed away, sadly. Um, Ted Leitner I talked to. Uh, Phil Nevin was great. Fantastic. That's a, that's a great grouping of, of, of players and announcers and, and coaches that, that had uh, seen what type of person he was for sure, man. Yeah. Kind of hit it from, from all angles. Yeah. And I mean, you, we talked about the steroids uh, with Caminetti, uh, a lot of players that he played with uh, steroids uh, recently just left uh, the hall of fame ballot after their 10th year bonds, Clemens, Sosa, they all missed out on their 10th year. I mean, what did you make of that? And do you think those guys belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame? It's it's disappointing and it's a good question. It's it's something that we've all talked about, I think, in some way. Um, it's disappointing because the reality is this. When you really dive into 1990s baseball, every player was forced to make that decision. Whether or not to use, they were forced to confront that decision and decide one way or another. And I think that's the disappointing thing. People think it's in a vacuum of, oh, Barry Bonds used this or Roger Clemens used this, so they're not a Hall of Famer. We don't know who used what. We have no idea. Um, this goes so much deeper than just the surface level of Hall of Fame caliber players. Um, you know, the disappointing thing, you look at Barry Bonds on August 23rd, 1998, he hit his 400th career home run, made him the first player to go 400-400 in the history of the game. As far as we know, at that point, he had not used any performance enhancing drugs. He goes and hits 400, 400, and there are nine media members there. Yeah. How many do you think are at McGuire's game? How do you think, how many do you think are at Sosa's game? I mean, it really just this, you know, it was reinforced by the way that the fans were drawn to home runs and power by the way that the media followed along with it. It was all this, convoluted mess. And, um, I really do feel for, I, I feel for the, the clean players. I really do because, you know, obviously it's really tough when you're trying to do something when everybody else is, you know, getting these advantages that you don't have. And I feel for the players who ended up choosing to use too, because I think a lot of them probably didn't want to, I, I don't think that it was a, a, you know, this easy choice for them. Um, you know, and I think, you look at Ken's usage and his usage picked up, you know, after he came to San Diego, but he was on the, you know, the other side of 30, his, his body's starting to decline. You know, he has the shoulder injury, obviously, um, you know, and I think a lot of players in those situations, as they decline, as they age, as they're recovering from an injury, they're trying to make the team, um, you know, so many so many players had so many different reasons for ended up ending up using PEDs, um, but but punishing Bonds or Clemens by themselves doesn't take into account all the guys who 
pitching against Bonds who were using steroids. Doesn't take into account all the hitters who were using steroids against Roger Clemens. It doesn't take into account all the other players already in the Hall of Fame who may have used performance enhancing drugs. I mean, it's really, it's really complex. I think uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame and I think the Bader, Baseball Writers Association of America both deserve some level of culpability here because they never really set the parameters uh, or a framework for this. Um, but at the same time, you know, these drugs weren't being actively monitored at the time when these players were playing and the testing wasn't up to snuff. And even when it was, I mean, there's only a couple guys every year that get caught. Um, are we expecting to believe that only, you know, two or three guys every year are actually using these things? No, I think that they get smarter and they do different things to, to avoid, you know, uh, testing positive, but, um, no, I, I, it's a shame. It's a shame because, you know, you ultimately know that PED usage was uh, rampant in baseball throughout the 1900s. And although steroids were very um, visible and notable uh, for their usage, um, I, I ultimately think these players need to be judged within the framework against the era in which they played. Somebody like Barry Bonds is the best player hitting wise of his entire generation. And he deserves to be, uh, you know, appreciated and, and honored for that. And I, I think leaving him out of the Hall of Fame is, is a disappointment for everybody. Yeah, I agree. And it was also fascinating because David Ortiz, someone who mm -hmm. tested positive, according to Major League Baseball and the Players Association, mm -hmm. got into the Hall of Fame at the same time in which these players didn't. So what did you make of that? First ballot, unless, I mean. Yeah, first ballot. And his stats, look, he's obviously a playoff hero. And he's fantastic. Everybody loves Big Poppy. But um, what does he actually have on his resume that that Bonds doesn't have other than a couple World Series rings? I mean, Barry Bonds as a player um, surpassed David Ortiz in every way as a hitter, as a fielder. David Ortiz was largely at the age throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, look, David Ortiz is a, is a Hall of Fame caliber player, and I'm glad he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, but for him to get in before some of these other players is um, it shows the system really uh, it, it, it's it, it, there's something wrong here because uh, as you said, you know, according to reporting that hasn't been refuted, uh, David Ortiz failed that 2003 blind drug test. Barry Bonds didn't fail that blind 2003 drug test. So um, it's, it's an unfair standard when, you know, one person's being punished for this and another person's being given a free entryway. And I think the bigger travesty in general is Bud Selig, you know, just waltzing his way into the Hall of Fame when the era in which he oversaw all the players are being punished and, you know, he just gets a free pass. And <laughs> here you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you, you really just shake your head at Major League Baseball. And I mean, we're in that situation right now with, with this labor dispute. It's it's. A huge filibuster. They're just just passing uh, information on, leaking it to the media. I mean, you think that in a matter of days, hours, they could work this out, but mm -hmm. we're still sitting here months later, just wondering what the hell is going on. I mean, I, I, we all love this sport, but sometimes you really just shake your head at it. You have to. It's frustrating, you know. And yeah. and now we're at that point in February where 
we know spring training is going to get pushed back. You know, yeah. how much is the season going to get pushed back? It's, you know, when, when this first happened, you're like, okay, maybe this will get resolved quickly. And you know, now we're into the heart of the start of the season. And this is not, doesn't look good right now. No, no. I mean, there's, there's several big name free agents that, that are homeless right now. There's, 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 it's just, it's a mess and and hopefully that they can work this out there's rumors that it's made progress but uh, you know who knows right who really knows who knows uh, thank you dan for your time uh so wonderful to talk about ken kennedy who's a, a personal favorite of mine uh playing through the pain is the book uh biography that's coming down the end of may uh you know you're a rangers fan and i i love to ask this of um major league baseball fans if you will what is your current view of the San Diego Padres right now? What, what, when you think of the Padres, what, how, 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 what do you think of them? I mean, I think any season they're going to break through. I mean, I feel like they should. Last year was a disappointment, obviously. They have so much talent. Fernando Tatis Jr. is so talented. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like it was disappointing to see how the pieces didn't come together in the second half last year, but um, I, there's a lot of talent on that roster. And I, I feel like I, I'd be, I'd be excited to see them make a, a really deep playoff run. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm a, I'm a longtime sufferer of this fan base and of this franchise. So I like to uh, get the opinion of uh, other people. Cause uh, you know, sometimes it feels like a dream. Like this isn't really happening that the Padres are actually a relevant team in, in major league baseball, but uh, apparently they are. <laughs> they are. No, they are. They're a legitimate team and they have a, a lot of a uh, lot of talented young players. And I, I I think the sky is looking up. I mean, you look through the years and it's always this year, next year, you know, we're, we're going to turn the corner. And it's just this recurring drumbeat of that. But I do think that this this group, this group of players now is uh, is set to do something really special. Yeah, it's it's definitely an exciting time. Uh, thank you again, Dan, for your time. Uh, Playing Through the Pain is a book. Uh, Kim Kameny, uh, Padre fans are definitely going to eat that up. Uh, also visit uh, dangoodstuff.com. Dan uh, does some blogging, if you will, and it really does some uh, pretty cool stuff that you're putting out there, pretty cool content. So uh, definitely uh, give Dan a follow and check his stuff out. Thank you again, Dan, for your time. We sincerely appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was our conversation with Dan Good on the Padres East Village Times podcast. He's the author of the biography of Ken Caminetti playing through the pain. It'll be in stores on May 31st. Uh, it should be a very fascinating book. Uh, I can't wait to read it. I mean, I never got to watch Ken Caminetti play. I've heard you talk about Caminetti several times. I've heard my parents talk about Caminetti several times. I mean, he was in his prime when uh when my parents met in san diego and like really became padres fans so uh that's kind of he's kind of like the forefront it's not really tony gwynn but it was caminetti for them uh becoming padres fans so i've heard so many stories about him just talking with older padres fans at that are at padres games about him uh i think this is going to be a great opportunity for a lot of padres fans to uh really learn even more about him and it was awesome to have dan come on and talk about him 
Yeah, and Kevin Eddie, I mean, he was some some really special. You know, I, I had the opportunity to talk to him a couple times and meet him a couple times back in the day. Um, I don't know if you older fans remember, but uh, San Diego Stadium, Jack Murphy Stadium, Qualcomm, if you will. Uh, back in the day, uh, players used to park behind a chain link fence basically and fans would be able to go up to the fence and they would see the player go into their car or whatever and have a chance to talk to them if, if the player wanted to or whatever and uh this night uh it, it was in 96 a uh, bunch of friends of mine uh went out to the game uh one of my friends caught a home run ball actually by steve finley that night uh we waited that night uh to possibly talk to steve finley and get it autographed uh, it never happened. He didn't never showed up in the parking lot. We never know what happened. But Ken Kamenetti came strolling up uh, to the car that we were standing on right in front of us. And he strikes up conversation, autographs some stuff for us, and basically invites us out to the bar with him. Well, I was only 20 years old at the time. So, I, you know, I told him I'm only 20. I can't go this and that. And he laughed and 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 said, you know, maybe next year or whatever, come back in 97 or, or whatever. Uh, he had that type of personality. You know, he was very outgoing, very electric. And uh, it's a shame that, that in the end, there was some personal demons that, that kind of got him. And um, it's, it's just really kind of tragic that another Padre figure, another San Diego icon, if you will, fell uh way too early so it was awesome talking to dan uh good about him and and learning a, a little bit more about uh ken Kennedy. but uh let's move on to some padre news uh 2022 season is hopefully upon us right dominic i mean it, that's what the rumor is right we're supposed to be uh starting up soon um speaking of rumors uh recently in a dennis lind uh, mailbag piece. He had mentioned that the Padres were possibly trying to allocate some funds uh, to sign a big free agent. Um, and a lot of speculation is that free agent could be Freddie Freeman. Give me your thoughts on that. And I will give you my thoughts as well. Well, I mean, the best way to allocate those funds is by trading Eric Cosmere, which would then open up the first base position. So, uh, I mean, that makes sense. I, I once again, I, I I don't see how a Hosmer trade gets made that allows the Padres to save that much money because the trade is going to include some form of cash and some prospects. One way it would be the more prospects you give up, the less money you're going to have to give up. But I'm not sure how AJ Preller is going to want to do that. So, I mean, as much as I would love Freddie Freeman, I still think he's the best first baseman in baseball, even though Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is giving him a strong push. I, I would love him to be a Padre, but I just don't know like if yeah. that's feasible. I mean, it, it would be spectacular if that could happen. I mean, I think the Padres would pretty quickly become possibly even NLS or World Series favorites, but they, they'd have to work fast. I mean, you'd like to think that AJ Preller and some of the other GMs have been talking about some trades during this time because, I mean, in all reality, they're definitely doing something. But in order for that to happen, I mean, you'd like to th you'd think – Eric Hosmer gets traded right away. Maybe even Will Myers gets traded right away. And you'd already have to be quickly in on Freddie Freeman and talking with him. And I'm pretty sure that, well, I mean, I know that the players and the owners can't be talking, which means that I don't think the GMs and players can be talking. So uh, there would need to be a strong process that would have to incur for that to happen. And I just don't see how that would happen as much as I would like it. I mean, I'm being realistic here. I don't think it's going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, he would be the perfect fit to hit in between Tatis and Machado. I mean, that would be the dream middle of the lineup right there. Uh, there's just a lot of variables. There's a lot of, I mean, do I think that they could financially afford him? Yes, I do. Because losing Hosmer and potentially all of his contract uh, is upwards of $40 million uh, for the next four years. Uh, no, not 40, uh, $60 million for the next four years. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. There's still more more money that needs to be moved. Do I think that they could do it? Yes. Do I think it's a smart idea? Probably not. I, I, I think that giving up too many prospects to lose all of Hosmer's contract or, or most of Meyer's contract, or it, it, it's just, it doesn't seem smart. I, I think that they could, if they were able to trade Hosmer, they were be able to find a more inexpensive first baseman, uh, Kyle Schwarber, uh, even Anthony Rizzo, if they wanted to go down that road, but someone that's not going to break the bank, it ultimately comes down to cost for Freddie Freeman. And you have to figure that he's going to want 25 to $30 million a year. He's going to want four five, six year deal. And that's just, when you talk about that, you, you start to get into a gray area where at the end of this contract is paying this man $30 million when he's at the end of his, you know, late 30. When he's like 39. Yeah. Is, is that really a smart investment? And, it probably isn't. So I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm sure there's a lot of angles, a lot of different scenarios that the Padres are working. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that one scenario is included with him. I, I wouldn't expect anything to happen. But like you said, it, it would have to happen rather quickly, though, because there's a lot of moving and shaking that, that would have to happen. So I, I don't know. We'll We'll just have to wait and see. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on Freddie Freeman at this point. I think um, Suzuki from 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 Japan is probably a more realistic option for this team. Um, give me your thoughts on him, who's who's intriguing. The, you know, being able to play uh, a little bit of center field if needed. The powers is intriguing. Will that transition to Major League Baseball? We're talking about a, a Japanese player who's arguably in the in the height of his 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 productivity in japan so i don't know give me your, your thoughts on suzuki yeah i mean i think that suzuki is definitely an option there once again uh gonna have to move on from hosmer if you want him at first uh and uh, that, that's what it comes down to it's whether or not the potters can trade hosmer but i mean i think suzuki would definitely be a fit he can also be versatile and play some corner outfield which uh we talked about is something that the Padres don't really have right now, besides Will Myers, who they're of course, probably talking about trading. So, I mean, the, the Padres, they have to find players and places to move on from some guys before they can really add it. Some players uh, with the exception of a left fielder or a right fielder. And I mean, if they think Suzuki can do that, then I say go for it. And then if you can find a trading partner for Hosmer, where you can play guys, multiple guys. Cause if you can play first and outfield, you can really mix and match with Ha Sung Kim starting against uh, and starting at second base and then Corona with that first and Suzuki in the outfield. And you can like rotate, give some guys some days off. And I think that would be a good idea. Yeah. There's, so where do you think the priority is? Where, where if you're AJ Preller uh, season opens tomorrow, trading opens up tomorrow, transactions, transactions open up tomorrow. Where do you think his, his number one priority is? 
I mean, it should be left field. Uh, I would be upset if the left field situation next year is Profar and Mazzara. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Profar had a very good like 30 game stretch in 2020. It somehow got him $21 million from the Padres. <laughs> and, you know, he was meant to be like a backup guy. Maybe they'll resign Tommy Pham. I don't know if that's the best idea. Uh, the or people who follow me and listen to me know that I was never a big Tommy Pham guy. I, you know, when he started to get hot, I'm like, all right, you know what? I was wrong about Tommy Pham. And then uh, the last two months of the year, he was really bad. And that was in part because he wasn't getting the consistent playing time with Adam Frazier, also getting some time out on left field. And same with Jake Marista. It was just a disaster. Uh, what about, what about, Hassan Kim in left field. You see how Swally looked in the in the airport the other day, and I mean, he I, did. I bought him. He in left did. Field. Now, being swole doesn't help you <laughs> yeah. hit major league fastballs. And until Hassan Kim proves that he can hit major league fastballs, uh, he's not going to get like very consistent playing time, which is of course not going to help his development. Yeah, uh, I would argue that being swole is actually makes your bat speed a little bit slower, and then not being able to hit major league fastball. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, your your swing is definitely going to be less compact. Would definitely yeah. be it. And also, I mean, Kim's biggest problem with hitting fastballs was the leg kick. I mean, that, that's what it was because yeah. he's getting the foot down and he has less time to react to a fastball that's now ninety five, ninety six with more spin yeah. than the eighty eight, eighty nine, nineties that he was facing in the KBO. So, I don't know. We'll see. It, it would have been smart, you know. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but yeah. Yeah, it would have been smart to play him more at second base and then move Cronenworth to first base after the trade deadline. But they traded for Frazier instead to do that, which that really killed Kim's uh, development. But Frazier's gone now; he's in Seattle. Yeah, the Frazier move just still, I just still scratch my head at that. Like, okay, all right, Uh, he was leading the baseball and hits at the time, but it seemed like seemed like a seemed like a player that you were paying for what he's doing now rather than what he will do. And and that's just not a good philosophy or a good, you don't play, you don't trade for players when their values high, you trade for players when their values low, if you will, and that they haven't reached their potential rather than the other way around, but it is what it is. Uh, AJ Preller is a trade. I don't know. He's just a trade, trade guru, trade guru. He's, he's that guy in the fantasy league that offers trades to everybody every single day of the week. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, we talked a little bit about social media and Hassan Kim. Uh, you Darvish uh, posted some videos that were very encouraging. Uh, I know a lot of fans were wondering if the sticky stuff was, was in play uh, on those particular pitches, but God, he's just, he's just has such filthy stuff. He really does. Yeah. And I mean, the, the the sticky stuff he was also injured i mean it's important for people to realize that and also like his x fip was the same in the first half as it was in the second half which x fip you can put whatever stock you want into that but according to x fip he got unlucky in the second half of the season so take that for what it's worth i think you darvish is going to be just fine this upcoming year uh i mean if i had to guess i mean he's probably not gonna be the ace of the padres like people were expecting i mean he is older but he uh, he still has two more years on the Padres. I mean, if he can still just be an above-average major league pitcher, just find somewhere in between where he was in the first half and the second half. And I think the Padres are going to be pretty happy with that. 
Yeah, health is going to be a, a big key for the Padre rotation. I mean, you have Darvish uh, with a little bit of health concern. Clevenger coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Lamette is always an uh, injury concern. Paddock's elbow is still shaky. Uh, there's there's some injury concerns with this rotation, but there is a lot of depth uh, when you look at the San Diego Padres rotation. Arguably, arguably, you look at eight nine men that that could could open the season uh as a rotation member uh dominic give me your your rotation for the padres come opening day who do you who's the five man rotation for the san diego padres come opening day uh joe musgrove starts opening day in san diego i think that is electric uh, and i think that's awesome and he deserves it after his last season uh i think probably blake snell's the number two guy uh i mean he really started to emerge last year and it was only a matter of time before he started to do that because his stuff like looked good all year. He just was kind of like nitpicking. And then it, it finally turned itself around. I'd say Darvish at three. Uh, and then, I mean, we'll, we'll see where Clevenger is. And I mean, that, that's one thing is that if the season gets pushed back a little bit because of uh, the CBA disagreements, that also gives Mike Clevenger more time to, get ready for the season. I mean, that's one thing he also could like get less spring training reps. So it could go both ways, but it's something to think about. Uh, and then I, I do think Chris Paddock at the moment is going to be a San Diego Padre and he's going to be the number five pitcher. That's, mm-hmm. that's about what Chris Paddock is at this point. You know, he's not, he's not the sheriff that he was in 2019, but I also think he's better than uh, what a lot of Padres fans make him out to be. Uh, his lows were extremely low in 2021, but he had several good starts that makes you want to hold on to him. So, so you're thinking Lamette Weathers in the bullpen? Is that, what, is that what you're thinking? Yes. Okay. Uh, what about Mr. Nick Ramirez, uh, who comes from Japan with uh, stuff that's kind of taken, gone into the next level, if you will, in the past years? That the Padres invested in him. Do you think that they give him a shot at at the at the rotation, or do they make him a long man? Uh, I think they should try him out of the bullpen first, see what he looks like. And then you can assess from there. I mean, starting games in the major leagues is definitely a little bit different, but I mean, I think Ramirez has so much upside for the Padres. And I thought that was definitely an underrated acquisition. I mean, the Padres, they didn't make any big moves before the, uh, the lockout incurred, but, uh, signing Ramirez, uh, signing Garcia, the reliever from the Cardinals, uh, I forget what the other, the reliever from Japan, who's also Hispanic. Robert Suarez. Suarez. I mean, I think these are all great deals that not a lot of fans are talking about now, but hopefully when the Padres are playing well again, they're going to be talking about these guys as being major contributors to the team. Yeah. You know, I think that the Padres are going to have to find some way to limit Mike Clevenger's innings, if you will, because right. they- you you want him available. This team has playoff aspirations. They you want him available in the playoffs or in September at the very least. They're going to have to find a way to limit him. And you know, he based upon his his latest social media posts, he's he's ramping it up. He looks like he's ready to to start getting in some innings under his belt. Um, do you think that piggybacking maybe a Ryan Weathers or something off of him? Letting Clevenger go, you know, 30 pitches in the uh, start, two innings or something like that, and having Ryan Weathers come in after that is, is a viable option for the team? That that could be a great idea. Or even Ramirez. Uh, you, could, you could try and do that. Uh, and maybe you 
pitch club. Maybe you try out. I mean, the six man rotation was an epic fail last year, but I mean, maybe you try it again just for the first like month of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, And you're just moving guys up and down in the bullpen. Maybe you do that. Or maybe you try and extend the starters like six innings and then say, or you extend like Clevenger and Weathers for six innings and then say, all right, bullpen, we're really, we're hoping to only ask like three innings out of you every night uh, in exchange for there being less guys, but that requires the starting pitching to be good. Unlike what it was at the end of last year. So there's a lot of options for the Padres. I mean, I think whatever spring training, training camp, uh, whatever we get, it's going to be very telling for the team. And it's going to be really fascinating to read the reports out of Padres camp. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, out, of that, out of that rotation, we didn't even mention Mackenzie Gore, who was a, a name who could, with a dominating spring, force the Padres' hand, work his way into the rotation, and, and become the rookie of the year. I mean, that's not un- inconceivable. I mean, that's... No, it's not. So... Uh, at this point, I think the Padres rotation is pretty set. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on them making a big splash for a free agent pitcher at this point. Uh, a lot of their offensive, or a lot of their problems uh, revolve around the offense and solidifying that, and and money, if you will, and restructuring that um, with Eric Cosmer. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it'll be interesting winter once we open up. Hopefully soon. Dominic, great show. Uh, it was awesome talking to Dan, uh, reminiscing a little bit about Ken Caminiti. Uh, anything relevant uh, we need to discuss before we get out of here? Jake Peavy did not get a single vote uh, in the Hall of Fame ballot. I'm not like too surprised, but I was like, ah, oh, like darn, you just wish that just one guy, even yeah. Nick Canapa, just you, no. use no votes, just throw in, just throw in a, an honorary vote for Jake Peavy. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he's a he's a he's not a big vote guy. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to see PV get a little love on the national media. Just media. one, just yeah. one. He was on MLB Network that that day, like talking about like the ballot and whatnot. So it's kind of like a a slap in the face for him to go on MLB Network and then get zero votes. Yeah, well. Welcome to to being the a Padre fan, right? But we're talking about one of the yeah. Padre pitchers of all time. It was also funny to see uh, that the panel that he was on. It was him, Mike Cameron, Yonder Alonso, and then I mean some some baseball writer, someone who doesn't play baseball. So all three guys who were on on this panel had strong affiliation with the San Diego Padres. How did this happen? Like <laughs> good for them, but I mean Yonder Yonder Alonso is a really good analyst for MLB Network. I don't think. Uh, a lot of people have realized that. And then for them, the Mike Cameron and Jake Peavy, it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the tribute to the Padres right there for, for, through a MLB network. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, good show. Episode number 151. Why don't you take us out of here, Dominic? Yes. Thank you all for listening to episode 151 of the Padres East Village Times podcast. Uh, you can make sure to follow James and I on Twitter. You can find me at DM Stern 19. You can find James at EVT underscore Jay Clark. Uh, make sure to follow our guest, Dan Good, on Twitter at DGood73. You can find his website on there as well. In his book, the biography of Ken Caminetti, Playing Through the Pain, will be released on May 31st. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Uh, I mean, it was awesome to listen to him talk about Ken Caminetti. Uh, we thank him for coming on. Make sure to follow him and also make sure to keep checking out eastvillagetimes.com. The Aztecs are in the full swing 
other men's basketball season. And also we have a new SDSU uh, football podcast uh, from our friends, Paul and Andre. Uh, They're doing a great job and they're also doing a good job of covering the, uh, the off season stuff for Aztecs football talk, covering the wave, the loyal. I mean, just everything is over at eastvillagetimes.com. San Diego sports coverage. You can't really find anywhere else. Eastvillagetimes.com and at EBT underscore news on Twitter. We thank you all for tuning into this episode of the East Village Times podcast. We have a guest planned for next week's show. Uh, it'll be a big guest. And uh, James talked about Mackenzie Gore a little bit. That's just going to be a little bit of a teaser for that. Uh, this guy was uh, in the news talking about Mackenzie Gore uh, in one of his latest articles. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. Thank you once again for listening.